0: Hello. F- we are controlling transmission. Yee-hoo! Have a trouble with a little- You're
1: d- Black Friday the 13th is upon us. Did you hear? Nightmare on Film Street is launching an enamel pin collection. We're calling it The Cinema Cemetery and it's inspired by headstones from your favorite freaky flicks. The best part you can pre-order your very first pin this weekend only for six sixty-six. The Dig'em Up pin is inspired by our machete wielding pal Jason Voorhees. It's a hand-drawn replica of the tombstone from part six Jason Lives. Grab yours Black Friday weekend at store.nofspodcast.com.
0: Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle (laughs) Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim.
2: Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim.
1: I'm John, and today we are talking about two...
2: Lesser loved?
1: I don't want to say it like that. (laughs)
2: Underrated.
1: Underrated John Carpenter films. We're talking about 1990s John Carpenter
2: yeah, this is like Kim's sweet spot, but also a blind spot I have for John Carpenter. I totally. hadn't seen either of these movies. I yep. thought I had. I had not.
1: <laughs> yeah, you definitely thought you saw one of them. We are talking about 1994's In the Mouth of Madness and 1995's The Village of the Damned. Not to be confused with the
2: 1960s. Yeah, so I have seen the original The Village of the Damned. I used to watch it a lot as a kid. When I was like, yeah, John Carpenter's Village of the Damned, in my head, that there was only that one. I yeah. didn't realize that then there was a 19th. 1995 version with Kirstie Alley that was a remake of the 60s version. Right.
1: It was crazy surprise Kirstie Alley is in this movie but I, I love to imagine that in your mind it's like Assault Zone Precinct 13 Village of the Damned Halloween <laughs> Just like, that's the chronology well, of the I, film.
2: I, I guess so um, yeah and we were I guess we should do the precursor on why we're doing this episode last weekend we checked out the John Carpenter anthology tour we went and heard all of his amazing scores live which was so awesome but as soon as we got there before he came on John asked me to pick any two songs from the night yes and we would do those films. So I tried to pick two movies that looked a little nutso because they had the screens going in the background with with clips from the film. And I picked In the Mouth of Madness came first and mm-hmm. it looked bonkers and I had never seen it before. And I was yep. like, what is this absurd craziness? We are going to watch it yeah. and then we're going to talk about it. And then I was the entire night, I'm like, okay, now I need to find something to pair with this. And then I saw Village of the Damned and I was like, oh, we love this. This looks different.
1: I, I was really surprised you didn't pick Body Bags. That movie looks nuts. I also haven't seen that one either. It's it's not until I really start looking at John Carpenter's filmography that I realize I've only seen maybe half of his movies.
2: Yeah, I feel like there's this iceberg of the acclaimed versus the not-so-acclaimed like yeah. ones we don't talk about. I mean, I've seen uh, Salt on Precinct 13. I've seen The Thing. I've seen Halloween. Like
1: You've basically seen everything up to, like, 85. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, anything past that, not so much.
2: yeah. I guess that's true. Even, I I watched vampires when I was a kid, but I couldn't even walk you through.
1: (laughs) What it's about? I
2: remember there's like a cave, maybe?
1: Oh yeah. It's
2: in the desert, I think.
1: James Woods is in it. There's a. Is James
2: Woods a vampire?
1: No. I wouldn't
2: believe that. Ever. He's
1: like head. (laughs) Not even now, not even today.
2: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he is kind of a pariah.
1: (laughs) But uh, it also has one of the baby bald ones. As I like to refer to them. Which one? Uh, I think Billy Deuce Baldwin? Baldwin. Deuce Baldwin. <laughs> Can you imagine? The
2: second twin, the less famous second twin.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually personally hurt that I have not seen all of these movies. I think we really need to go and just plow through his filmography.
2: I mean, you say that, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll get into our feelings of these movies.
2: I these prefer two. to discover my films organically in the nature of, I say for years and years, like, I should watch this, and then finally it literally lands in my lap, and then I do that.
1: You and I are different people, (laughs) when I think about directors that I haven't seen all their films of, I'm just like, oh, uh, okay, perfect, for the next month, I will watch all of them. Just those movies, in order. I have no problem doing that. I will watch, there was a period where I was just watching Brian De Palma movies, back to back to back. I like to just dive deep into directors. Because I think you get a better understanding of the movies. Like, if you watch this horror movie and that horror movie, and then you throw on one of John Carpenter's movies, you're just like, where the where the fuck did this come Sorry, from? Sorry,
2: as soon as you said Brian De Palma, I just remember that two-week-long driving trip we went on where you uploaded all of your Brian De Palma movies onto your laptop, and they were on the hard drive. And then we were sleeping in the woods in this weird van that we'd rented. Watching Blowout? And you are like, <laughs> Kim, there's no Wi-Fi here, and all we have are Brian De Palma! <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was good. It was a perfect plan.
2: Uh, And I ate ramen and watched Brian De Palma movies. It's
1: like getting away with murder. And that
2: was my vacation.
1: (laughs) Right? Wasn't it fun? Didn't you love it? So
2: much fun. John
1: Lithgow's really creepy in that movie, right? My feet are
2: still damp.
1: But seeing John Carpenter live, honestly, was kind of like crossing something off your bucket list.
2: It was so strange. I don't think I've ever been to anything like that. No. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. Is
1: it? Did it weird you out that we were in, like, general admission standing? Uh, so
2: I didn't know, despite... Okay, I, John, I know what you're going to say. I didn't know there weren't seats. I didn't know it was general admission, so I dressed up all nice. I thought it was going to be a nice, like, theater outing. I wore a dress. I wore uncomfortable shoes.
1: Despite my... Many, many, many attempts he, to so tell you. That we he kept saying,
2: "Oh, it's General Mission," and I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting, like a movie theater. So we just go in and like grab our seats. We better get there early." And we got in, and it's set up like it should be a theater. It's on an incline.
1: Well, the Danforth Music Hall used to have seats,
2: but it doesn't now. It sure doesn't. And so it was. We were seeing a concert, but it was John Carpenter at his keyboard and then the band around him.
1: You say that like it didn't sound great.
2: No, it did sound great, but it was such an odd experience because I, I started drinking like I was at a concert <laughs> because I was standing right next to the bar. Despite being then, dressed
1: like you were going to the opera.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and then I was getting like progressively drunk and the music was John Carpenter was the same. Oh, it was so, so awesome. It was a weird weird
1: experience i have been walking around all week with the theme to assault on precinct 13 just in my it's head so i uh, it's it's infectious yeah yeah it, it's in my head i'll it, turn around a corner and just <laughs> like this grocery shop just got intense
2: <laughs> oh and it was great though every pause though after that beat the audience was just like screaming <laughs>
1: well it was also like the second track right i
2: think that was the opening track
1: he came out with escape from new york Believe me, I know.
2: (laughs) As I said, progressively drunker. (laughs) Thank God there were those clips, though, because I wouldn't have known a single film. I'd have been like, oh, look, Halloween, I know this one. (laughs) It's crazy, though, since we've been at the show, the tour's going on all November, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the last last tour date is soon.
2: Oh, wow. Everybody's been going to it. So my social media, like on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, everybody's been there.
1: The only thing, uh, I'm a huge fan of his lost themes, like both one and two. I was, I wouldn't say I was upset that we didn't get more of them, but I would have liked to have heard more. I mean, if I were John Carpenter or the band putting the set list together, would probably still come up with the same thing. Like about a 50-50 mix of movie themes and and lost theme pieces
2: yeah, it was definitely very movie-focused, but as a horror fan who's not... I'm not so into the horror synth music. Mm. Not that I'm not... I don't like it, but I'm not... That's not my... You won't
1: throw on a record. Genre, yeah.
2: yeah like I, I'm not into music in that way that I, I would just be like, oh, I'm going to listen to John Carpenter all afternoon. I'll, I'm more likely to put a movie on in the background. So hearing all the songs with clips from the film, it was, it was actually a, a really interesting thing to do as a horror fan who focuses more on film and less on music because he's generally regarded as his music is very similar it's usually one note like you can kind of tell this is john carpenter and it was interesting to see the changes and the tonal differences between the decades of him as a director and a filmmaker but also the different tones of the movies because he's done some sci-fi-ish stuff oh, yeah. he's done traditional horror with halloween and then
1: you get movies like big trouble in Little china that are essentially just fun action movies yeah so
2: action 80s action movies he's got even like lovecraftian stuff so it's interesting to see how it all has that authentic john carpenter brand but there's such variety in how he does the music which i i never i didn't have that respect before the show and now i do have it because because of the isolation of the music with the silent film clips in the background awesome so, yeah, I guess that was a success. <laughs> yeah,
1: I had a hell of a lot of fun. I've been dying to see him live since he first announced that he was going on tour. You, you know, he's done shows here and there in the past, but I think it was 2016 when Lost Themes 2 came out that they really started going on tour worldwide and uh, it was great to finally cross this off the list. It's been a short amount of time, but I have constantly thought about it.
2: My feet really did hurt, though.
1: From standing on that incline
2: because i did not have the proper shoes
1: we wore heels yeah and i told you that you would be standing on an angle and you were like
2: seats what okay <laughs> i just i i don't know i i thought it was a sh- uh, concert like it i thought happens. it was gonna be an opera hall
1: <laughs> it happens other than that what's keeping us creepy this week our new patron dave Dave, I want to give a big shout-out to you. Thank you so much for becoming a monthly supporter of Nightmare on Film Street. And you know what? For your birthday, I'm going to buy you a copy of the new Sutter Kane novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, Don't worry, though. I've torn out the back few pages. You won't go nuts. You'll just... Just enough to to put you on the edge. (laughs)
2: It's the new trendy drug. Read the first 30 pages of the Sutter (laughs) Kane.
1: that's the new psychotic like nobody's overdosing on like fentanyl anymore it's just sutter cane yeah
2: and the addiction is like oh did you read the chapter 10
1: (laughs) oh bro you can't go full 10 on that sutter cane
2: (laughs) why do you have to say like sutter it's weird
1: sutter 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 sounds better
2: sutter all right let's get into the films let's talk about i want to do that madeline ashton thing again but i know i've done it before (laughs) have you yeah let's talk about in the mouth of madness this one
0: will drive you absolutely mad the riots began because the stores could not meet the demands of sutter kane's novel in the mouth of madness kane disappeared uh, two months ago without a trace the guy that writes horror books
1: i need to know if he's alive or dead and i need that book (laughs) kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers
0: This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. Alright, from
1: 1994. Directed by John Carpenter. No surprise, starring Sam Neill as our leading man. This movie has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, and only a 2 out of 4 Eberts.
2: That is higher than I thought it would
1: be. The Ebert rating, or just in general? All of them. Okay.
2: Not that I think this film is bad, because... Those of you that are fans will turn this podcast off right away if I see that. But it is not for everyone. Agreed. It is odd, but not too odd. (laughs) I feel like it should either be odder or not odd at all.
1: (laughs) Okay, got it. If it's been a while since you've seen this movie, it does follow... I don't remember the fucking guy's name whatsoever. It does follow Sam Neill as an insurance investigator. More or less, he's trying to find out when guys are making false claims on... you know burning their house down or something but because one of their clients is a publishing house he's been contracted to go find the mysterious Sutter Kane.
2: Sutter Kane! The
1: mysterious Sutter Kane (laughs) who's gone missing just before the publication of his new novel In the Mouth of Madness. There's been some talk around town about how his books are maybe real and they are making people go mad and this movie is more or less a descent into madness as Sam Neill investigates the mystery of Sutter Kane
2: In his hometown of Maine.
1: Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, right? Hobbs, it's not Maine.
2: Where does it mean? It's Hampshire? called Hobbs
1: End. It's a place that doesn't exist. Yeah,
2: no, it's Hobbs End, but I think it's New Hampshire that it's. Sitting.
1: Okay, so this is where we really need to get into it. This is clearly Stephen King. Yeah. Right? No, like,
2: yeah. Sutter Kane, yeah, Ugh, and like horror the, novels, even the covers are the same. Well, the whole movie, we're in
1: Maine, more or <laughs> less, right? Like, it is clearly Stephen King. I think
2: that's funny. That's trendy. It's meta. It's This is John Carpenter's Wes Craven Scream.
1: Okay, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> but I don't know. You're right, that's true. It is a very meta movie, which I think the 90s was really all about. I think the 90s was great at going, hmm, I think we've written about everything. Let's write about writing about things. Because... And now we're
2: in like post-meta where everything is meta at default. But, but then...
1: ironically, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the characters know they're in a movie, but they're cool with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, like Cabin in the Woods. Like I feel like something's wrong, but I'm going to be in my arc, I think.
1: Yeah, meta's is such a such an easy thing to screw up, but it goes right. God damn, is it awesome? Because it feels like the movie is sitting beside you in the movie theater and watching the movie as it goes. Like you're I just in pictured for the that ride.
2: like degree song with that cartoon diploma.
1: Degree song.
2: Yeah.
1: You mean I'm just a bill?
2: Yeah. Okay. I thought it was a diploma.
1: I thought degree was the name of the band. It's Schoolhouse Rock.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah, I'm just a bill. It's just a. Lonely, old Bill? I don't know. He's sitting here on Capitol Hill. I know yeah. that much. <laughs> Those are the lyrics I know. That's it. Uh. School of Rock was supposed to like teach you things, and for the most part, you just remember the titles and the tunes. Like, da 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 Tell me my multiplication da, da. table is up it? to 30
2: for the threes. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to sing it right now, but that's still in my head somewhere.
1: Okay, fair enough.
2: It was football players and like running through in like groups of three. And that poor protagonist couldn't catch a break.
1: (laughs) Poor him. We open though with Sam Neil being tossed into solitary confinement at a mental
2: I forgot about the opening. You're right. It doesn't start with him on his insurance quest.
1: No, we start at the end. It starts
2: with him being bonkers insane.
1: And we stay with that bonkers insane for For a little while.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of like strange flashing imagery and you're like John Carpenter, what drugs were you doing in the 90s? Because I think it was some.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sam Neil's definitely been in there for a little while, long enough to request a single crayon to draw a billion crosses everywhere, including all over his clothes and face. And when a mysterious figure comes to visit him, his only visitor, I think, he talks to him about the Sutter kane novel. Sutter kane Sutter kane novel.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and about how he hasn't finished reading it yet. And then that's where we get the flashes, and we basically see glimpses of the entire movie. Which, when it happens, I'm not nuts about it. I go, oh, great, you just show me clips of the whole movie. But I gotta say, when we finally start seeing some of those clips play out, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah,
2: like, I was totally not on board with this film until we got to the Sutter Kane publishing house. Where
1: Charlton Heston yeah. is like the head of the company,
2: and the is she the agent or the publisher? <laughs> she
1: is his editor.
2: So, his editor, when they started to reveal the mystery stuff there and it started to become a linear movie, that's kind of when I signed on and I was like, Woo!
1: Oh, because you just had to no get some what was going
2: backstory. About. It felt too acid trippy to me. It, I don't know, the the in the psych ward stuff I wasn't down for, it was All like. Right. Oh, I don't like starting at the end if the, end, if the end is a shots mess. of the in
1: there, though. Ah, yeah. That's okay. I think, yeah. I, I, get I, I mean,
2: it. John Carpenter's shots are amazing. I could watch him pan down the center of a hallway 300 times. Yeah. But <laughs> the acid trip imagery, when I have no. I didn't read the description of the film, I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And starting with that, I was like, okay, let's move on. Yeah, it was but, like the beginning of a bad possession film. Okay. You know, where you always start with the crazy person and like. I wasn't always
1: like this. And we got to that beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and you're know, like, ugh, let's just so, yeah, I guess I could read this book. What's going to go wrong? That's exactly how it goes. Before he gets to the publishing house, though, what did you think of that fucking scene where they're in the cafe, just like, dude, talking business, and that guy with an axe is just slowly walking toward them the whole time?
2: I had forgotten about that scene until you just mentioned it. The entire time, I ha- it just, a light bulb went out in my head, and I was like, this is why it follows is compared to John Carpenter so much. Like that one scene with the guy creeping. Well, we and he we is, start to
1: see him across the He is just so far away,
2: but your head is like red alarms right away. You know he's not of good intent. And, and they're not talking
1: know, shop. I don't
2: yeah. know how they convey that because we watched it on a pretty big screen. Like we watched it on like a 50 something inch screen. You
1: say that like it's actually big anymore. It's really and not.
2: Whatever. We watched it on a easy. standard, normal size <laughs> living room TV and he was tiny tiny and i immediately was like something is what you is new yeah. yeah and we were in normal daylight cafe window diner style but he was able to convey like menacing mm-hmm. from so far and it follows does that so amazingly and it's always compared to john carpenter i think it's because it's so the cinematography is so wide
1: and also like the synth music
2: yeah for sure but 100 percent, i can see it now like clear as day Totally.
1: Yeah, I was totally locked in on this movie as soon as that happened. You know, obviously I was interested. It's a, it's a movie I haven't seen. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for this. It's the moment that that scene comes. I am on board. If they were just, if it was like a pay phone, like from the 70s, you know, like when you watch movies, like, to continue this phone call, you need to enter 30 more cents. <laughs> if all of a sudden it was like, you need to give us another $4 if you want to finish this movie, I would have given them 20. Like, just please just finish it. I need to see this. And we're only within the first few minutes.
2: I really love the distance shots when he's smashing down the window, and they're like, "Ma!" I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't
1: love it. Isn't that Sam Neill never looks convincing as a scared person? Is that the problem? Because even in Jurassic Park, it's like, "Yeah."
2: Yeah. I mean, I trusted him too much in Jurassic Park. I knew he was going to make it out okay. So. What's well, a
1: Steven Spielberg movie? Nobody's really going to die. A few people died. I guess a few people really did die. Yeah. yeah.
2: I was just really let down when those little dinosaurs were evil. I think that was the second. one. That was
1: the second one. We were all let down
2: just really hurt me.
1: Yeah, it shook me to the core, really. Like, everything I thought I knew about the world and dinosaurs as they existed and breathed today uh, <sighs> really turned upside down.
2: Yeah, because you know that if Jurassic Park ever became real, there would be no mini dinosaur petting zoo, and I don't know if I would feel okay with that. Well, maybe there I would mean, be. I mean, as long as you weren't feeding them marshmallows, because that makes me so sad when they do that at, like, Marineland and shit. They feed them marshmallows? World. Yeah, the deers, the deers, the bears get marshmallows. Like, huh? this is not part of their regular diet. Can't we give them, like, oats? Oats? Yeah.
1: Yeah? There's There's oats in the wild?
2: Grain and... It's a complex carbohydrate, John. A marshmallow (laughs) is just fucking gelatin from cow hooves.
1: Here, eat your brother. (laughs) Oh, no.
2: We made him sticky and delicious. Oh.
1: So Charlton Heston forces Sam Neill to take the editor along with them. I wish I wrote her name down. I don't remember a goddamn character's name in this entire movie. But...
2: So she makes me really mad. Why? So, I was sold on her right away. She had this 90s powerful businesswoman thing going on where she took no gruff from him. And she
1: wouldn't let him smoke in the building.
2: And she was so sassy. And she was very curt with him and short and whatever. But then as soon as they end up in Hobbs End, we're going to talk about the journey to Hobbs End. But as soon as they end up there, she keeps seeing all this paranormal stuff and just says nothing. And, like, is trying to quietly, like, gesture to Sam Neal. Sam, Sam, please.
0: Do, do, yeah. do you see this? Or yeah. She
2: squeezes tight into him and just keeps on walking on and you're like, shit's going weird and you're not even pulling the fire drill. like pull think... the fucking fire drill. You're a businesswoman <laughs> like do it <laughs> And then she gets possessed or whatever that happens to her. So
1: see, I think we're supposed to assume that she is buying into the mythology of Sutter Kane immediately. Like, she actually believes that when people say, oh, these books are real. I think she does a, when they get to the factor. town. Definitely by the time they're on the journey. Because like on the way in, you know, they're, they're taking a break. Like, all road trip movies. Like, okay, you drive now. I'm going to sleep. No one does that. That's unsafe. She drives into this weird nowhere
2: land. People do that if you're, like, trying to rush. Like, if you really need to get to Walt Disney World.
1: <laughs> they drive into this weird nowhere land where they've driven past the same kid who's trying to escape a thousand times. That's also, like, the next shot that I wrote down that's fucking brilliant in this movie are the Joker cards inside the pegs on his tires. Yeah. It's just, oh, It looks so great.
2: That was to another moment where I was like, okay, this is getting really cool. It had this goosebumpsy vibe. Yeah. The, Special effects on the aging makeup was really hokey and cheesy, like the 90s cartoons I used to watch. But I still really loved it. It was a shock when it changed from a boy to, like, a really old man riding Mm. that bike. Plus, he was creepy, and he was totally into scaring them.
1: I don't remember a goddamn thing he said.
2: I don't think he says anything. Oh. I think he just looks at them menacingly and, like, laughs and keeps on riding. Well, at
1: first, when they drive past, he is definitely scared. And he is in a panic and he's trying to get the fuck out. But, yeah, when they come back to him again, it's like he's been doing this for eternity. And he's gone crazy because of it. He's laughing at the idea that even now, knowing that this will do nothing, he's going to continue trying. See,
2: and I never got the idea of escaping because I guess I wasn't even thinking about the stories at this point because it was so early on in the film. Mm. I thought it was just this creepy character. Character that probably had a really creepy novel and we're only seeing a second of it repeating. Like there's a scene in the novel where he's trying to escape something or whatever and we're just seeing it play on repeat. Mm-hmm. And I love that we didn't find out anything else about that mythology. That's probably my favorite story within a story in the whole film.
1: And this is why I think ultimately maybe it should have just been a Stephen King movie. I'm going to go ahead and assume doing zero research that it was supposed to be. John Carpenter's worked with Stephen King before. They did Christine. Or at least he adapted Christine. So they've got some sort of relationship, I would assume. They've probably at least talked to each other.
2: They probably have, like, brunch every other Thursday. That'd
1: be fucking amazing. Can you imagine those guys having brunch?
2: What do you talk about? I don't know. Death? Ghosts? (laughs) Ghosts?
1: When we're in the publishing house, there is a moment where they say, like, forget about Stephen King. Sutter Kane has just surpassed them all. I'm sure this project started as we need to make a movie where Stephen King's books are real. And he's written something and it's driving people insane. And yeah, we could have little references to characters in his short stories. Like a kid trying to escape. There is a fucking short story that I've read from Stephen King about a woman who is essentially... Going through hell, and hell is repetition. Where she wakes up in the middle of a road trip, and you know whatever town is fifteen miles away, and the signs get closer and closer and closer, like 10
2: that miles is away, my nightmare. Just five now. miles oh, away. Oh god!
1: And she just has this insane sense of dread, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And then she falls asleep and wakes up, and we're back at fifteen miles. I don't like it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's awesome, and we could like have that. used all of those. There's even a short story about a diner that contains all of the dead musicians, like. Elvis and Janis Joplin, they're all just working at some diner in this weird small town which could have been in Hobbs End. In fact it probably could have just been called, should have just been called Castle Rock instead of Hobbs End.
2: I'm okay with it, I'm okay that they did like a meta not really but it is thing. One, it was probably cheaper because they probably didn't have to pay for the rights to all of Stephen King's novels. Yeah. Especially if they were going to reference and micro-adapt them. And as, as we were talking, it was during a the height of the meta movie. So... It makes sense. Actually, I had a thought while you were talking. The plot of the new Goosebumps film mm. is... Basically this. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, you're right.
2: It's R.L. Stein's <laughs> books being real.
1: And Jack Black is playing R.L. Stein, But at least he's playing R.L. Stein. Like, I wouldn't have cared if it was somebody else. I mean, Stephen King, everybody knows what Stephen King looks like, especially just like on the dust cover of the jacket. But... Like, it doesn't make me mad. I'm not saying, like, this was a mistake, what did they do? I'm sure they probably tried. It just makes me sad that it wasn't. Because even when we come across Sir Kane later in the church, it's, like, a big reveal. The doors open and he's there, and... And he
2: looks like Willy Wonka. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he looks like Willy Wonka, as if Willy Wonka were played by Gabriel Byrne. I don't know who that is. He's from The Usual Suspects. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I understand that this is the person they're looking for because it's a movie, and, like, oh, big reveal, but... It's not like he is a huge name actor, maybe in my eyes. And there's been no photographs of yeah. Sutter Kane. Up they're until just like then.
2: they're smoking behind him. Yeah. So like, oh, okay. Yeah. He's it's not really a just typewriter. Like, I
1: assume it's Sutter Kane. Yeah. More than anything else.
2: I hate how you say Sutter.
1: Sutter Kane. Thank you. <laughs> Sutter sounds cooler for a horror movie.
2: Yeah, but it also sounds like you have a candy in your mouth while you're saying it. <laughs>
1: There is a great book by Bret Easton Ellis that does the same thing that I think is impossible to make, which may have been the challenge of this. Like the only, it really hinged on maybe Stephen King being attached to the project, but like I'm gonna put that idea aside. I'm gonna stop bringing it up.
2: I don't think that was the case. But I think
1: oh, was... if those church doors opened and Stephen King was there, it would have totally made sense. That we would be would know cool. Who he is, if they right?
2: had been meta, and then that Stephen King played Sutter Kane, I would have really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. Breddy Ellis has a novel called Lunar Park, which can never be made into a movie. And it's brilliant. Essentially, Breddy Stinellis is the main character of the novel. It's a fictionalized Breddy Stinellis. And in it...
2: Is he Patrick Bateman?
1: No, but (laughs) his books are essentially coming to life and haunting him. Mm. In a very weird Breddy Ellis way. Obviously, we have American Psycho, there's the Patrick Bateman character, and there is somebody going around killing people close to him in a very Patrick Bateman sort of way.
2: How would you feel if you were Brett Snell's, like, friends and family? And he's like, no, no, don't pick up the new book. Just don't do it.
1: Well, it's it's heavily fictionalized, right? Like, I know,
2: but if it was, like, his friends and family getting butchered by his fictional serial killer he made, he's like, I don't. I think his inspiration is from inside.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, definitely. I think the only maybe real stuff in that book is probably the stuff about his dad. But Mm. hey... And it's 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 absolutely brilliant, but it hinges on the idea that you know everything about his previous novels, which you can't just put that on the screen because yeah. oh, now your audience is like a few thousand people or a few hundred thousand people versus like the millions that would maybe go see a movie that looks scary. Yeah. So it just wouldn't work.
2: I read that book though, and I have a read you? Yeah, I have read. You read, read
1: Lunar Park?
2: Yeah. Fuck. Is that the one with the vampires?
1: No no no, that's a that's a collection of short stories. Oh. That's whatever. called The Informers.
2: Whatever.
1: That's like oh that vampire story I though like is that one. fucking bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> I like it a lot. Just a quick recommendation. This is not
2: a book podcast. If you have
1: read less than zero in American Psycho, please do read Lunar Park. I think you will find it fascinating. I also, right before that scene where they go and see Sutter Kane, it took <laughs> it took me a second. I had to remember how you like to hear it. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, if I look at this window, there'll be a Byzantine church." Yeah. And at no point does she make fun of him. I think maybe they're trying to say he doesn't read books. And like, you know how you'll come across a word and you'll just assume because... Oh,
2: that's one of the things that I'm so stubborn about.
1: (laughs) Pronouncing words that you've said in your head and never out loud.
2: Because you know what? I learned a lot of my big words reading and you read alone. (laughs) So this is Kim English and it's going to stay that way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Byzantine is the word here. That's what we're looking for. And is that church the one you were saying is in Markham, or is that...
2: Yeah, it's somewhere close to us. Okay, is it a mosque? Uh, I think it's Catholic.
1: Shows you what I know about architecture.
2: Yeah, they could have colorized it, though. like it.
1: I guess that's the Byzantine era. Maybe. Yeah, uh, but either way, Sutter Cain, Sutter Kane, Sutter Cain, right? Yeah, yeah. Sutter Cain. Sutter. Yeah. Sutter Cain opens the doors, and he's there, and then some dogs show up, and they go, Oh, scared! Run away. Like yeah, that's, that's and what happens. Some
2: townspeople chase them. So they end up in Hobbs End after their creepy drive. A
1: place that is apparently not real. Yeah, exactly. They can't find it in the it map. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist, exist.
2: But it exists. They check into this hotel and suddenly they're like feeding a some previous stories that Sutter Kane's written. Yeah, like, didn't you this... recognize
1: the lady downstairs? That like she she's...
2: killed her husband. Yeah. And there's a painting at the hotel, which I wanted to talk about because I really liked it and I don't think you did.
1: I didn't think it was great.
2: It was <laughs> It was probably my favorite bit in the entire Hobbs It's End. like the only bit. I liked it. You I know, didn't good, like, I liked the wife with the husband chained up, the right? hotel, what a hotel crazy lady. crazy
1: fucking shot. That
2: was really cool. I kind of wish they had a focus more on these side stories being real and, the creepy novels within this tiny town, like every house has a horror story in yeah. it. Yeah. Instead of this Lovecraftian mega monster thing that Sutter Kane is doing with his new book. Yeah. I would have loved if they had of goosebumps in Horrorland discovered the tiny little horror stories within the town.
1: That's why I think this Castle Rock show is going to be good. I know very little about it. But That's I so true! It, I expect it to be a million short stories inside Castle Rock.
2: That would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I didn't love the bartender story, but I don't think we got to Oh my dedicate... god, I
1: barely remember that one. That's so true. Yeah, that I don't even like know it, what yeah.
2: his plot was because it, it was be like we saw him twice, but there's so many stories that he's likely written. The Cujo story there was the kids chasing the dog mm-hmm. and I wanted to see that creepy
1: group of kids as well right Yeah, she and then was, then the not girl was possessed. she was not surprised at all that one of them was definitely a monster
2: well, Yeah, one of them was the devil baby <laughs> and she just turns her back like, and walks uh, away
1: from it <laughs> this is what I don't get so like they, they run away from the dogs and then it, it seems like hours and hours and hours later she decides oh I'm going to go back and talk to Mr. Kane that's how I'm going to get around it I'm going to start saying Mr. <laughs> Kane or just Kane I think is how he's referred to in the movie Why don't they go back sooner? I don't know. It's their mission, and they're like, meh. So she goes to see him. He's clacking away at his typewriter. It's all creepy and gothic and damp. And then he just, like, puts her face on a photocopier and shows her the whole book.
2: I don't think it was supposed to be a photocopier, but they definitely (laughs) used a photocopier for the effect. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be, like, her paranormally reading the entire manuscript. Oh, yeah,
1: no, she's definitely getting, like, a vision of the movie, right? And this this is a moment where I really thought... This should have not been about novels. Okay. It reminds me a lot of John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. Do you remember that in Masters of Horror? Where he's constantly searching for this like elusive film that kills people or drives them mad. And at the end that guy feeds his intestines oh, into this the, yeah. the real and it just
2: That it, was really scary. I
1: liked it a lot. In a
2: gross way.
1: And it feels a lot like this movie. It feels like a film version. For how meta it is. Either this should have been a book. Or in the movie adaptation, we should have had film. Like we are looking for a filmmaker, which could have been... John Carpenter, who's working on a new movie, who's become reclusive, who, you know, all of a sudden his movies are becoming real. And in the 90s, there was definitely an era of this violence is creating violence in real life, which is kind of why you see it mimicked a little bit in Scream. But you have the government saying, we shouldn't be listening to heavy metal. We shouldn't be playing violent video games Mm -hmm. and horror movies that could have perfectly played into it. And when he shows her the book, when he forces her to, you know, quote unquote, watch it in her mind. It could have been looking at dailies, like looking at the photo negatives of the film.
2: I agree, but but I also disagree entirely.
1: Entirely. Uh,
2: I think you're right that it does feel like a film, but only because that weird, the weird ending that they decided to do when he gets back to regular life. Okay. Where he watches the film of himself and he was the... I would cut all of that nonsense out and I would keep it novel heavy i think the fiction and the the stephen king stories in the the town that he always sets his books in like i just love that so much the concept alone is amazing and i thought it was just a little too you thought the ending was a little flat i think it was just a too far reaching they wanted to do i think a big reversal on the end totally but we already knew he was a character like i believed he was a character as soon as Sutter kane said he was a character so him watching himself in the movie was just so he's the actor i don't
1: This is what I really liked about it. He is the character who is aware of himself at this point, and he is watching it play out. Like, not only is he a willing participant, an actor, a interpreter, he is also the viewer.
2: But it should have been stab style. We should have been watching somebody else playing him doing the exact same scenes.
1: I don't know about that. He's I like a
2: fictional character. I
1: like the idea that it's like a snake eating its own tail. Also,
2: I don't like how he burned the manuscript in that hotel bathroom, and that scene was way too long. But yeah. I didn't like how he went back to the publishing house. Oh, I loved like, it! You delivered the script weeks ago, and the film's in post-production! And you're like... So it takes one day conveniently after he checks himself into a mental asylum for shit to go down and for evil to come out. But the book's been circulating for weeks. I mean, maybe I I live in a world where things are viral. And if something's going to go viral, it does that within 36 minutes. Yeah. It took eight weeks. And then he came to and then he (laughs) had time to go crazy
1: well, I think he's been don't mind crazy. If I do. He's been crazy the whole time. Like he doesn't even remember. You don't even
2: know what I said. No,
1: don't mind if I do. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> don't mind if I do. That's that's pretty good. I'm sorry, I talked over it. <laughs> Totally great.
2: I'm gonna do that from now on. When you interrupt me and talk over me, I'm just gonna start saying really funny things. It's okay. Just absurd stuff.
1: It's a shame that you don't like the ending of this movie, because honestly... I, I think, hated the ending. I think that's where some of the highest ratings for this movie come from. The fact that that ending is so eerie, and that he is watching the movie we just watched. I, I think, think that's I think the brilliant. laughing
2: is fun. Like, I love oh, that Oh, where he's laughing, laughing at it? It's it just a... makes me go, what?
1: Oh, see, it's as disturbing an ending to me as, like, 1984, where he's forced to to admit and believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Like, something about him acknowledging the film and it being a reality. Like, he is now fully in the mouth of madness like he has gone over the edge at that point and whether or not you're supposed to take it as literal mm-hmm. it is very much a great interpretation of what that must feel like
2: yeah i guess i just wasn't on board with the evil negiverse stuff i think the effects were great they looked amazing for mid-90s when yeah. he when Sutter Kane finally reveals The end of the book, and whatever, and he starts peeling away at his face. Yeah. He reveals like this alternate universe. That looks great. But as somebody who's, who hangs really strongly on story, I'm like, why though?
1: That moment. If Probably. he had this
2: ability to just, like, I don't... Like, was he real? Was he not a real thing? Is was he... he a
1: construct of that other world yeah. just to bring it over? I don't think you're supposed to know. I think you're but supposed I... to assume, right?
2: But it's so strange. And then this, like, goopy monster comes out and chases them. And then it gets really weird. That and...
1: chase scene there with the monsters is a little over the top. And I
2: wanted I to go back to the ghost stories.
1: Honestly, I think that moment that we're just bouncing around here that I'm hoping you're going to bring up is one of the scariest things I've seen in a very long time. What? With... Where the the fabric has been torn between our world and that that other world where the monsters are, right? Mm-hmm. And we can see that on the opposite side, it's, like, wallpapered with pages of the novel. Mm-hmm. I think that's a brilliant touch. Yeah. Also, just where he's staring into the abyss. Oh, and she's and reading the And the editor is reading the book. Oh, that is so brilliant about how he looks into the darkness and, like, the scream that he's trying to muster isn't coming and in place of it is the roar of the monster that is hiding in that darkness. Well,
2: and it was describing what he was seeing and all we could see was blackness, which was really Um, (laughs) cost-effective. But that, see, that, when you're talking about, it should have been a film, like, that moment for me was, this makes so much sense that it's about fiction. But
1: it could have been a script.
2: Because it was a great script. It was a great comparison, though, to how fiction is so much different than film because you can convey so much more tone and mood and right. hidden emotion Because in stuff. the movie,
1: it would just be that scene where he stares and That he's scene scared. wouldn't have been
2: scary yeah. without that note of real fiction. Yeah. That was probably a page and a half of fiction, but in a script, that would have been a line. It would have been, he looks into blackness, horror on his face.
1: You know, if in the first draft, that was the very first thing they got put on paper, page one, this, and then they worked from it and backward to it, I would not be surprised. I think that is one of the most brilliant things that I have seen in horror, regardless, like I'll say in meta horror. I thought it was cool. I don't know if I loved it. Oh man, I absolutely, (laughs) I could not write notes faster. I was so engrossed in that scene. I thought it was fantastic.
2: Do you, so do you want to get to ratings?
1: Sure. Okay. <laughs> Which is surprising to go from such a high note to my two out of four Eberts.
2: I'm going to go two out of four as well. I loved the concept, but the execution was a little too Lovecraftian for me.
1: Agreed. And what's funny too, those paintings you loved so much, we see them slowly evolve. Like...
2: Into like a Cthulhu thing. I know I get yeah,
1: it. Yeah, it, it's weird. The yeah.
2: Cthulhu I'm down with though.
1: Yeah, you're, you're down Cthulhu. <laughs> I just with thought it.
2: it was really traditionally spooky the, mm. that something in the house was trying to reveal itself to them when nothing else was letting on that they were in this fictional loop
1: yeah it was really good i enjoyed it i'm glad we watched it
2: yeah i was really surprised at what it was i wasn't expecting something so mystery i i don't know what i was expecting i was i think i was expecting like hellraiser Oh yeah. Yeah, in the Mouth of Madness. Like just think of that title. Plus all the images I saw at the, at the concert. concert. I was expecting hell. It was very goopy. Like No,
1: no wonder we've been watching Hellraiser lately. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I everybody's been even talking about it. Oh, cuz the new Cuz the new movies so coming. Like yeah. I need to rewatch Hellraiser and watch the ones I haven't ever seen. Yeah,
1: we got to watch Bloodline.
2: <laughs> Which one is that?
1: That's in Space. Okay. I'm ready. So next up, let's talk about 1995's Village of the Damned.
0: At precisely 10 a.m., in a quiet seaside village, something happened. Something unexplainable. Something unbelievable. There's a lot of pregnancies, much more than would normally be expected. All the pregnancies seem to date from the day of the blanket. Oh, no. Now. This town is about to discover that looks can kill.
1: Currently sitting at a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, and no Ebert rating here, uh, just a 41 Metacritic rating. Okay. Which, these are all pretty well in line except for the Rotten Tomatoes, which seems a little low compared to everything else I mean.
2: Yeah, Um, I assumed people did not like this film.
1: Yeah. I have never really heard incredible things about this movie either. Uh, no. And I had only seen clips of it. I, I had a friend who was really into it when I was younger, and he kind of just, like, would fast forward and show me death scenes. The only one that I really remember is the janitor, which I still like. I think it's great. They, they force him to go up onto the roof, and he jumps off. But not only does he jump off, he holds his broom against his stomach, so that way when he hits the ground, it goes through him. I think that's great. Love
2: yeah. It. There is a lot of murder in this film for it being about a higher species who's (laughs) not really dealing in emotion and is kind of doing things for the sake of efficiency and just... Their ultimate goal, I assume, is to keep procreating and take over the planet.
1: Kind of like the thing, almost.
2: Yeah. It's hard to talk about this film because I know it's not a great film, but... John, I'm going to, like, reveal you something here. I kind of actually really liked it.
1: I had a feeling you did. And
2: I know it was bad, but it's in that sweet spot of, like, 90s bad where I just want to watch it again and again and again and again.
1: That's okay. If it's been a while since you guys have seen the movie, after a mysterious incident in a small town in the United States...
2: They blackout. They they all collapse. The animals, the people. There's a ton of really amazing shots during that blackout. looks great, like, right? Like only John Carpenter could produce these shots, where it's just panning the different scenes of everybody just collapse. Like we're front lawns, and we're at a fall jamboree. And we said jamboree in the last two episodes, by the way. I'm really proud of myself. Um, The cow field. And it looks so haunting because it's so quiet and so still. And everybody's just collapsed.
1: Well, yeah, you, you see the evidence of life beforehand. And yeah, after a few hours, I think, of these people being out, they wake up and every female is pregnant.
2: Yeah, I mean, it had to have only been a few hours because... It's weird because it was like the entire army was there. A special doctor was. Yeah, they had in. enough time
1: for people to come to the border to they, realize. They
2: realized the border. That they made a line for it. <laughs> they were either really, really efficient, or it was several days.
1: They also sent a guy in, like Bart Simpson style, <laughs> through the fourth dimension or into the With third red, dimension. Yeah. yeah, like all right, he's gonna walk in and then he collapses.
0: Pull him out. Pull him out.
1: It was great. I loved it. Uh, Kirstie Alley's in this movie for some reason. And also Christopher Reeve!
2: I think he is so oddly cast in this film. He's—I'm so, so not familiar with the, the Superman, the iconic role that he's known for, and he's just really tall and like conventionally handsome, like a Ken doll. The
1: biggest square jaw there ever was. Yeah,
2: and he's like, I'm the. What is he? Resident doctor? He's a doctor? doctor, yeah. And you're like, no, I don't you're even think he's a I'm
1: resident doctor because he leaves town to go to work and then comes back like it's wherever the most wherever the nearest main hospital is. Yeah, I don't know. P.S., I know you're not, like, crazy familiar with his movies, but later in his life, while he was quadriplegic, did a TV movie adaptation of Rear Window. Oh. Right?
2: That's cool. I don't
1: remember anything about it. I
2: bet it wasn't good, though. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because I said TV movie? I was like, (laughs) ooh. Also, the fact that I've never heard about it. Um...
1: I remember being all right, but whatever. He's no James Stewart, and I'm sure the director was no Alfred Hitchcock, so...
2: Ain't no Alfred Hitchcock. So, they... They all wake up from this blackout. A couple of them have died, like that guy on the barbecue grill. Oh, my
1: God. That was the best reveal ever. That
2: looked amazing. Yeah. He he blacked out on his hot dog grill.
1: And by the time they woke up, he is charred. So he's been out for a while. Yeah. Can you imagine? That just goes to show that they were not just asleep, right? Cause, yeah,
2: because your your nerves would shoot right to your brain and be like, "Red alert! Wake up! Get yeah, the fuck out!"
1: They are one hundred percent catatonic. They are calm as Hindu cows. <laughs> I was thinking about fight. is that a phrase? It's a phrase from Fight Club. I've just been thinking about it a lot uh, lately for some reason.
2: Um, because I was like, I don't.
1: Know yeah, what I don't that know if that's means. polite, John. Yeah, <laughs>
2: like, I was like, what? I'm like, don't they? They don't eat beef. So is that? Oh. <laughs> They have nothing to worry about. Yeah, now you got it. Oh. Unless, of
1: course, they're killed kosherly. But hey, I don't think they eat beef. No, I
2: don't think they do.
1: Yeah. Even I I, I, I know nothing about kosher stuff. It... Uh,
2: <laughs> okay, so then everybody falls pregnant.
1: Falls pregnant, yeah. I
2: think that's the term you actually use.
1: Yeah, you have fallen pregnant, man. <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah. I
2: mean, oh yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh.
2: So and we're led to assume all the women in the town have fallen pregnant because they have a bunch of town meetings about it.
1: They've been stricken with pregnancy. There's
2: a bunch of bellies growing and
1: <laughs> Including the Roberts girl who everyone who... knows is a virgin. How does everyone know that?
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Look at this town. Why are they in her business? They just talking about it at the jammery, you know, over uh, burnt hot dogs. So
1: And burnt Phil.
2: So the the woman that got one of the women that got pregnant, her husband is like leaving her because he was away on business for a year. Oh and he he doesn't doesn't... believe that the baby's his. Obviously he's not. But he
1: shows up in the eleventh hour.
2: This is my biggest problem with the film because this was the nineties and this was a point that I feel like we were at least addressing that rape was a thing. And it's not even, this entire film is about immaculate conception. And never once does anybody say, like, do you think maybe somebody could have infiltrated the border? But people why are we not North talking gas about Nerve gaps across it?
1: the town, and they, they've all been raped. And also, not necessarily every woman in the town was pregnant. Because I
2: thought it, it was. was just but ten. Then there were only 10 of those weird children. So yeah. that town had to have more than 10 people. That jamboree was looking lip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Except of course they did not have balloons. We need balloons. Like that was the biggest hype. This, so this always... jamboree will go down if we don't have the fucking balloons. And lady. that's a
2: hundred percent the reason. Like it is entirely her fault why her husband died because his truck was filled with helium when he passed out of this town line and. Yeah,
1: died. he basically like drove into a fence and exploded. He was, like
2: driving forty kilometers an hour, and then his car just blew up.
1: Oh, it was great. It
2: was the helium. It's very flammable. Yeah.
1: Um, No wonder they had to talk about it so many times in the opening. You get that helium? Oh, no, I'm on my way to get it right now. Well, don't forget that helium, Bill. Helium! I'll have a baby if you get that helium. I think that was an actual line. Almost.
2: Oh No, he said he would stop smoking when she got pregnant.
1: And I think she said, I'll think about it after you get the helium for the balloons.
2: (laughs) This relationship is on hiatus until we get the helium. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm really jealous of that jamboree. I know I said it a bunch.
1: You were nuts about it.
2: I want to go to a fucking fall festival. We
1: go to fall festivals all the I time. I want to go to
2: another one.
1: Well, now that it's almost not fall, I know. they're not coming.
2: I know. Yeah, so pregnant, they all deliver their babies in the barn.
1: They set up a barn for all of the pregnancies because, surprise, ten women, too much for a hospital. We all know this. Yeah. I think it's because Kirstie Alley, the government agent, we'll get back to that in a minute, has, like, a monopoly
2: on the weird shit. Right. And she's trying to do something subversive, obviously, because Christopher Reeve works at a hospital, is a doctor, and is okay with his wife giving birth to a baby in a barn. Like baby Jesus, but whatever. How much money would it cost to sanitize a barn? (laughs) versus just renting out a floor at a hospital. What if they... Riddle me that!
1: What if they built that barn specifically for the hospital aspect of it? And also, apparently there's a clinic that we keep cutting to constantly. Why couldn't we use that clinic? Yeah. They could have just Push set up... the desks some... to the side. Or even just, like, some temporary tents. Like, I mean, okay, we went to high school, and, oh, there's too many students this year. Portables. Like, we could have brought in some fucking portables. Every woman could have had their own portable.
2: For privacy.
1: Of course. You know, <laughs> rather than just, like, a draped curtain. There's, like, a long tracking shot of spread leg after spread leg after spread <laughs> leg. It was gross. I mean, like, I'm sure if it's your own baby, it's magical and stuff, but... You don't see
2: anything in this
1: movie. No, you don't see anything, but it's just icky.
2: Except for Christian reality (laughs) stealing a woman's baby and being like, it's dead. The entire movie, I was like, that baby's not dead. (laughs) So fast, right? I didn't even believe that it was dead. No, not at all. It was clearly dead because it was like an alien at the end.
1: For a moment, I thought for how quiet that baby was and how fast she got out of there with it that she just like snapped its neck. As soon as it came out, she's like, splam. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to study stem cells. Get the fuck out of here.
2: Okay, so when she's explaining to Christopher Reeve, at some point, the children are growing up. They're killing people, including his wife. Which he jumps off a cliff.
1: Okay, we're gonna we're coming back to this.
2: Christie Alley is revealing to him like the secrets of the children, the evil blackout children, and she's talking about the options of what they could have been. Remember, and he's like, "So what are they?" And and she's like, "Well, it could be this. It could be the government. It could be whatever." Okay, yeah. So first of all, when she's like, "It could have been the government," they could have it could have been a thing to study to make like weaponized children and whatever yeah. and to send them. And then what
1: so shadow government is?
2: <laughs> who is employing this woman? The town don't... isn't employing her, and if the government isn't employing her, then what the f- like? She's yeah. just a crazy mental
1: patient. I don't understand how she can show up day one when everybody has passed out, and she's bossing the cops around. She is the highest. Her? Of th- no, nobody called of her. <laughs> she's She is the nosy neighbor who saw a bunch of people pass out and went. We're gonna put a microscope on this.
2: Oh man. So and then she says too something. She has a big fancy word for it, but she says that they are completely separate of the host parent. Like they're they've been implanted with this yeah. child and it doesn't contain their DNA. She got samples from the, the children. Mm-hmm. So she it's middle of the fucking nineties. We know how to do DNA testing. She would have be able to rule that out immediately if the children didn't have any DNA that matched the mother. Yeah. And clearly it didn't because they were aliens. Even so, if
1: it were before the '90s, they, at the very least we could have gone with blood type. So
2: she's been doing all these tests, but she hasn't done a single DNA DNA test because one of them looked like a weird alien. She was like, "That's it,
1: aliens, space." space.
2: <laughs> like maybe that baby was stillborn because it had a deformity.
1: I also that like also that. also kind it was... of looked
2: like a conventional alien.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Does it not look like it continued to grow? Like one of those things. It was a
2: pretty big dead baby, right?
1: It was. It was at least ten times in size by the time we saw it. It
2: looked like those shrinkum things that those tiny zombies that you put in water and they get bigger.
1: I'm so glad you said that.
2: It was probably baby size when she put it in that magical goo and then it just continued to expand. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was and a regular-looking
1: baby, yeah, right? Chris... And it just got bloated over time and we're like, oh, <laughs> gross.
2: <laughs> True story, though. Christy Alley, her character, is so fucked up. That baby is backlit. She turned that into a lamp for her office.
1: It's a lava lamp with a baby inside exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: she just looks over and she's like, so cute.
1: And just keeps working. It blows my mind that she is not a government agent. She's not some sort of part, like, she's not some sort of shadow no she talks
2: about the government and the government blew up all the other blackout
1: babies but there's also a scene where she goes in for annual funding like (laughs) she's like i'd like to propose that i need another year's (laughs) grant to continue my research who
2: who is funding it if it's not the government like if she does not work for the government no
1: you know what this movie is on fat the first two acts of this movie are on fast forward. Like I they have to be, be
2: though cuz we have to get to these children at like 8
1: years old. It's a way more interesting story to watch these kids develop and to watch the parents realize that oh these kids are not mine. Yeah. That is a much more terrifying realization.
2: What's great though is that we we have one scene of them as infants and then we cut to them as eight-year-old children mm. and they keep doing spooky shit and one boy Christopher Reeve like looks at her stunned like he doesn't realize oh you're magical like, you've been her father for eight years yeah
1: everybody's <laughs>
2: she killed your wife at age two.
1: Oh, it's just it's insane the first scene that we see with the kids as like eight to ten-year-olds they run into Kirsty Alley after walking into some very weird straight lines they walk like a military group and first words out of her mouth you're hiding something from us we can't read your thoughts and everybody's fine with it like we just skip to a point where the entire town knows these kids are evil they can read your thoughts they can control things with their mind but we better not do anything but we don't
2: believe necessarily that they're killing people yet
1: but a moment later it's like there's been some strange incidences some bizarre deaths and suicides related to the children nothing to be scared of though like what do you mean nothing to be scared of like come on also, I'm glad earlier that you said immaculate conception, which I think is something that gets completely glossed over in this movie. Mark Hamill plays a priest who seems to be very invested in monologues in this movie, and I really—that's Mark, Mark Hamill. That is Luke Skywalker.
2: Why? Uh,
1: He's—he probably really liked the original. Oh. Mark Hamill is kind of like a notorious nerd who made good. Like, he just... Good
2: for that nerd.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> don't you remember that, that panel we went to with Robert Englund? Because they were roommates? There are... If you go to sci-fi magazines from the 70s, there are letters to the editor that are published from Mark Hamill. That's great! <laughs> yeah, because he was just a lifelong nerd who liked to surf, smoke pot, and I guess that could be in a movie, sure. He plays this priest, and he, like he does a good job, but... I really expected for all of these immaculate conceptions, these miracle births, that he would be the one crazy character, kind of like a Stephen King novel, that is defending the babies. He thinks that they are a Something gift from holy. God. Yeah, like whether or not they are evil, it's like we don't understand their purpose. God works at a higher order. You know, you can never... Yeah.
2: Well, they did a lot of religious metaphors, but they stayed metaphors. Like, they had the babies born in the barn and the Immaculate Conception thing. The eyes
1: are the windows to the soul.
2: Yeah, and there were a lot of scenes in the church. Like, we watched society crumble via the church. Like, when all the babies were christened, the church was packed, and all the babies were there in their white clothes. And then later on, after the babies, the the children have been killing people. At the church is only the, the surviving parents of the kids, and the rest of the town is not going to church. Yeah. That was really interesting. But you're right. For having the church aspect, they could have used it to create some conflict in some way. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like, we have Christopher Reeve at the end of the movie basically deciding, like, we need to kill these kids. There's nothing else we can do. I think Mark Hamill should have been the one person standing in his way. Because, yeah, these kids are all powerful, but I always find it interesting when an evil force uses a human to sort of either act as, like, a shield, or at least to do their own bidding. The Reinfeld character. Reinfeld? Reinfeld? Like, the Renfield character in Dracula. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. And, oh well, but, um... Mark Hamill was great.
2: I don't think the concept of this movie is fabulous. Like, I don't know if I love the the children are evil and killing people. It is very reminiscent of traditional movies that were coming out in the 50s and 60s. So I think that's why I like it regardless. John Carpenter didn't change a lot other than setting it in the 90s. It is very true to the original film. Mm. So I think that's why I kind of enjoyed it. It felt like a... 90s tv movie that i was watching like a 90s tv remake of it yeah and i know that it wasn't great it was kind of interesting how serious they made the children and made them about this mission that they were on but then they made them so villainous and they were just killing people left and right for kind of no reason like when young when the young leader girl kills her mom she starts by boiling her arm because she gave her soup that was too hot and then nothing else happens in regards to her mom being not a good mom towards her and makes her commit suicide jumping off a cliff and you're like you're a little vindictive for somebody without emotion. I'm
1: not 100% sure the kids that i think mom might have just done that i think mom might have realized that she created a monster and she couldn't kill it maybe and killed and No, killed herself. but there's
2: the scene of the girl in the crib and she nods with her head for her to step off oh my mistake and then she closes her eyes all peacefully when mom does
1: yeah that's right because i remember christopher reeve talking toward the end of the movie about how he and his wife used to look at the waves breaking on the ocean where she committed suicide and how there was something out there bigger than them, which they assumed was about, you know, God and having babies. I like the idea that that's something bigger than them is actually a force that came in and sort of took over the town. Yeah. And that I, realization is what caused her to commit suicide. I
2: agree with you, though, that I think she was thinking about doing that. That's why the girl's eyes don't glow or anything. Mm. I don't think she had to use much persuasion uh, I see what you're saying. to convince her to do it. Right. I think she was already like... She push. just
1: gave her that little push over the edge. Exactly. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Okay. I am actually super pissed that we did not get to see Kirsty Alley cut her do give her own like yeah, autopsy. Yeah,
2: I think that was a rating thing because it, it was still really effective for not seeing anything. I that made me really uncomfortable. Like killing yourself by giving yourself your own autopsy is terrifying.
1: Well, also that's when the kids find the the other baby that they didn't know what happened to, which I think is weird. I feel like they should know exactly yeah, where that kid is. They
2: should have some kind of connection to it. yeah. And, It's not like she was doing anything weird with it that they wouldn't have guessed. She took it to study. Yeah. And she was studying it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, surprise, surprise, she's doing it at the clinic we keep seeing. Right. That that clinic. We saw it so many times.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I would say 50% of the exterior establishing shots in this movie are that clinic. At the clinic. Yeah. (laughs) Back at the clinic. (laughs) 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 My only question for you, though. Okay. Is David evil? David being the one boy that gets away because he starts to show empathy. He breaks away from the group. You
2: know what I think it is? I think it happens one for plot reasons, just to make it some extra like mother connection in the movie. Um, but I think it's because the baby that died was supposed to be his partner. Yeah. So I think his connection to the hive mind is weaker. They connect to each other and then they connect to the group. He's missing like a link in the connection. And so He's a little bit disconnected from them, or at least he's vulnerable to his mom, who is obviously nurturing him.
1: Yeah. But the end of the movie, like when we're in the car with mom and David, and they're driving away and they're gonna go somewhere else where nobody's ever heard of them, it is eerie yeah. and ominous. It was such
2: as the omen moment where he's just looking out the window, and she's like, mm. "We'll go somewhere where they don't know who we are." Yeah. And you're like,
1: it might have ended on that uh, note. For just...
2: greater good, he should probably still die. <laughs> <laughs> for
1: the greater good, they might have just done that. So that way they still ended on kind of like a scary moment. Yeah. But eh, on the other hand... If he still truly is evil, and it's just been a long con, like, he is the smartest one of that entire group. Like, we think that crazy girl, Christopher Reeve's daughter, is the leader, but it actually turns out to be David. He's the most powerful one. That
2: sounds like a shitty sequel plot twist.
1: But he's learned empathy. So not only is... Oh, like
2: he can blend. Exactly.
1: Like, he's like a true sociopath, psychopath, serial killer that we have in modern day, except he has... The ability to control shit with the
2: That armor. seed would have to be planted in the first movie for me to buy that in the seed.
1: I think it's planted. But I think I, it's loosely planted. Uh, like you would pack dirt around loosely.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Uh what's your rating in the film?
1: Oh. See I'm um, I you know what? I'm going to give this one a 2 out of 4 as well. Not because I think it is as inventive and interesting as the Ma- In the Mouth of Madness, but I do think it is as enjoyable for a different reason. If I was playing these movies in a playlist, I would definitely play this movie last, and I would serve a lot of drinks throughout In the Mouth of Madness. This
2: is definitely the last movie for watching. It is so traditional creature feature, but with children. Um, yeah. I'm going to go 2 out of 4 as well.
1: Okay. Uh, so we're deadlocked.
2: Yeah, so it was hard because I definitely enjoy these types of films more
1: Mm -hmm. it's definitely more your bag and Uh, in the mouth of madness is definitely more my bag
2: i liked it i really liked how cheesy this movie was in the mouth of madness has a better concept but i think this one was better executed at least in terms of storytelling i think this one was more effective in its telling a complete story from beginning to end that kept me engaged
1: i feel the exact same way but for the opposite film so we're gonna have to throw this one to you guys out there on the internet
2: Head to our Twitter, at NOFSPodcast, and we want you to vote. We have just thrown a poll up uh, when this podcast comes out.
1: Which is the better underrated John Carpenter film? In the Mouth of Madness?
2: Or Village of the Damned? But that's it from us this week, guys. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back at you again next Thursday with another episode. So make sure you subscribe wherever you're downloading it so you can catch it in your feed.
1: And of course, I'm sure it goes without saying, if you could, please leave a quick little rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. really helps us get the show in front of more fiends and grow the horde.
2: Stay Stay creepy. creepy.
0: It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale. Of the nightmare on Film Street. Now, help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N O F S Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com until next week stay creepy fiends black friday the
1: 13th is upon us did you hear nightmare on film street is launching an enamel pin collection we're calling it the Cinema Cemetery, and it's inspired by headstones from your favorite freaky flicks. The best part? You can pre-order your very first pin this weekend only for $6.66. The Dig em Up pin is inspired by our machete-wielding pal Jason Voorhees. It's a hand-drawn replica of the tombstone from Part 6, Jason Lives. Grab yours Black Friday weekend at store.nofspodcast.com. <laughs>